0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the F.O. Takeaway. My name is Cale Clinton. With me is my co-host, Jackson Robert, where we take in all the takes from the NFL media landscape. We break them down. We analyze them. And we figure out just how hot they are, whether or not they, they've got a little truth to them. Jackson, Good as always to be talking ball with you. My favorite show to do every week. Just so much fun. Breaking down all these takes. Seeing what the rest of the NFL world has to offer to us.
1: Hey, seeing what the world has to offer and seeing what the people have to offer, Kale. Last week, the takeaway was controversial. We had some, some Dolphins commenters telling us they'd never listen to us again. But you know what? That's a healthy take landscape when people are getting passionate about their favorite teams. When people think we don't know Ball. You know what? Maybe we don't know Ball. But we're going to talk about Ball because that is basically why we're here. Somebody thinks we're good enough to do it, so we're just going to keep doing it. Hopefully the Dolphins fans hate, listen, or just learn to love us. Because I, you know what? We're going to win you
0: over, Dolphins fans. Listen, it's the beauty of the takeaway. This show only works if... We're getting called out on our stuff. You guys are corresponding with us. We're talking about it. You can contribute to the conversation in the YouTube comments down below, in the F.O. Football Outsiders website comments, hop over in the Football Outsiders Discord, get at us on Twitter. If it's still around. If it's still around. This is what the takeaway is all about. Like, like the dialogues that we get to have, the arguments that we get to share, talk and ball with each other. Hey, listen, long term, still stand by my Tua stuff. Still stand by my Herbert conversation. I think, I think, listen, there's some takes ones that don't, don't understand a little bit of nuance. That's fine. Takes aren't always about nuance. We try and bring that bit of nuance to the landscape. And before we dive in this week, We've got to shout out our sponsors. We've got to do some business first. First off, got to talk about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. Play with Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? I know mine are, Jackson. <laughs> I traded Dalvin Cook in week three. Play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast, six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional fantasy sports sites. I could get Dalvin Cook back right now if I wanted to. I could cash in on that. I would have no remorse. And guess what? I'd even be eligible to win $50,000 if I grabbed first place. Or you could try their pick 'em game where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. Even in states where traditional prop bets currently aren't available, Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERSNOW to double your first deposit up to $100. Yeah, you know what Jackson's underdog pick of the week is going to be? It's going to be Dalvin Cook, buddy. Thank you for giving me one in the 11th hour. Beautiful segue. (laughs) We always start every week with our Thursday night football takes. The Tennessee Titans made light work of the Green Bay Packers. We'll get into the Packers side of the show later because I've got a little Take a bit of myself because we keep ourselves accountable on the takeaway. Tennessee Titans win 27 17. First take of the day. We're not getting into the video stuff. We're not getting into podcasts. This is just simple bread and butter. This is tweets. This is that raw take you that we've been talking about. Like, this is what, I mean, it's what Twitter was made for. That bird app's beautiful. Albert Breer. Sports Illustrated, I don't think there are five head coaches I'd take over Mike Vrabel. Jackson, Mike Vrabel, top five coach, put it on the meter. I actually, I think it's, I'm going to
1: go lukewarm here. Some might say hotter, some might say colder, because this is one of the most pure, like, rankings or the most obje- or subjective non-database, you know, you can go off any anecdote you want for this. But one thing I do think works in Mike Vrabel's favor is we were talking a little bit before the show about how maybe some coaches, maybe Vrabel's included in this conversation, don't have like a deep track record of long-term success. But every year when you look at like the coach of the year race, it's always coaches who haven't been doing it for very long. So all of these coaches whose names are in the news right now, your Kevin O'Connells, your Siriannis, your, well, Pete Carroll obviously is the opposite of that, but Dable, Robert Sala, none of these guys have been doing it for as long as Vrabel has at this point. It's only a five-year track record. It's a good track record, and I think what puts him over the top for me is just the way that he gets the most out of his entire roster. Now, you've seen earlier in the season, the clip with Ben Jones just loves his players, absolutely gets all of them to buy in. Uh, knows when he has, like, a special guy in the building in any position. Uh, His his handshakes with Derrick Henry last night. Just the way he's able to win that game by, you know, like the ground game's not perfect, but it keeps control of the clock. He finds all the right times to throw. I mean, I know he's not calling the plays on offense, but just the game script that they had in place. Uh, I feel like they do that consistently. And go back to the Kansas City game. like They set the game script really well even when it doesn't come out in their favor. So all that combined, I'm fairly inclined to agree with this take. He's certainly the best branch off the Bill Belichick coaching tree, Kale.
0: I don't know if it counts because it's a player, not a coach, but you're absolutely right because it's been bad. Uh, the Belichick tree is not good. But Speaking of Belichick, Jackson. There are only seven coaches in the league right now with a tenure longer than Mike Vrabel's. That's John high Harbaugh. turnover business. High, high turnover. High turnover business. And a lot have happened in the last two years, pretty much. So, coaches hired since Vrabel was hired in 2018 or prior. John Harbaugh, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, Sean McDermott. Of those coaches, all but one have made a Super Bowl. They all have conference championships. So I'm not at liberty to put Frable. Uh, let's just say it right now, even currently, like if you just if you just do the right now and we'll talk about Belichick a little bit later in the show. A little take comes up there. That's called a tease. Hmm. Belichick Reed, Tomlin and Harbaugh, I think lock top four. There's not a lot of, like I, I, I don't know. Oh, I'm also forgetting Carol in that list. Didn't I just there? realized it. I just didn't have Carol. Okay.
1: Tomlin uh, and Carol yeah. were the two where it's like maybe they'll get fired the past couple years. For one reason or another, with the Steelers—it was the collapse two years ago, followed by a bad offense last year. Carroll, just bad team overall last year. They've obviously earned the ten-year to not just get fired based off one bad year, but it's not like the fan bases were in love with those coaches after the past couple of years.
0: Listen, the Belichick firing—I would legitimately chalk up to a ravenous Boston media. I didn't the say Belichick. Belichick oh, well, well, have not Belichick firing has absolutely like been flirted with by, like, the Felgers of the world, uh, or like, yeah, it, it's listen. If you listen to enough Boston radio, it's been floated. Uh, yeah, yeah, Carroll's been up there, but I think like, you look Carroll's gotten out of the squad this year, and it's been like, it's been an absolute over projection. They've already hit their uh, Vegas preseason win total. Like, you're leading the NFC West, like. I'd still, take out. I wouldn't like take him to restart a team, but like I'd take him right. Now. In terms of like top five coaches in the league, Belichick, Reed, Tomlin, Carroll, and I'd throw Harbaugh on there as like the one flex. What I like about Vrabel though is his ability. Like he hasn't had a ton to work. With. Like this defense now is good, and it's been built. You know, a combination of through the draft and through free agency. But like you look at this depth jar, and it's not like it's full of household names here. But like you go through and you look at like, you know, you look at Jefferson, you look at Danico Audrey Even like Harold Landry who's been on like Harold Landry's been on IR absolutely in that conversation. Bud Dupree, who's been hurt. Like, very good. Like, this is a very strong front set. Secondary's been pretty solid, whatever. Has been fantastic in terms of, like, actual name talent. They get beat deep a lot.
1: They're they're talented, but they do get beat deep a lot. Number one in big plays given up in
0: passing game before this week. My thing was more, it's not Nate, like, It's not name talent. Like, they're not, like, fantastically, spectacularly loaded in the secondary. And Vrabel's getting a lot out of them. And, like, the staff he's built, like, they're 13th in defensive pass DVO. Like, they're getting a lot out of them. And, you know, Vrabel's got a really good, like, really good defensive mind coming from that Belichick tree. Like, you know, must have absorbed, like, a sponge in New England. Like, I, I, there's still just these legacy coaches in this league. And it's crazy to call a guy as young as Tomlin a legacy coach. And it's just because he's been around for so long. But that's just the name of the game in the NFL. With how high the turnover is. But just, like, there's, there's just a logjam up top of these, like, really great coaches that you'd absolutely want to keep around is the name I would absolutely flex in this conversation because it's like, maybe he's not there. Maybe he's there. Like, I don't know. I don't always, like, I've got problems with the Ravens' offense, and maybe it's a front office thing more than that, but, like, these constant lack of weapons that they put around Lamar Jackson, they can't seem to build a receiving core around the guy. Uh, I just don't really understand why they, you know, it, it's worse for them, obviously. But, like, you know, I, I'm craving a little bit more innovation here offensively. Uh, speaking of innovation, like, I don't put McVeigh in that conversation because I understand that LA has dealt with a ton of injuries this year. But, like, I don't think McVay eclipses uh, Vrabel in this conversation. And, like, he's kind of right there with Kyle Shanahan. Like, Kyle Shanahan gets a lot offensively out of, like, solid talent. But like I think De- like Debo Samuel absolutely overachieved. Not calling Debo Samuel a bad athlete, very good in college, absolutely worthy of the second rounder. He, ach- he ascended to a new plane of NFL player that we had not seen previously in the wide back. If it was a one year revelation, if it was you know if there's more wrinkles that need to be added, sure. But, like, he's getting a lot out of, you know, it's the constant revolving door of running backs. It's getting to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Getting a lot out of these guys. He's a great offensive mind. And there's a reason why everyone's copying him around the league. The cluster of young
1: offensive mind head coaches is what makes it really hard to make a head coach ranking. When you have McVeigh, Shanahan, and even Mike McDaniel now this year having the success he's had in such a short amount of time how do you rank those guys against the old guard? And then Vrabel is like this perfect bridge right in between them. So it's like, we're not building a top five here. We're just grading this take, but I think it's interesting how you can put Vrabel anywhere from like that top five range to maybe like bottom of the top 10, just based on how you grade those offensive
0: head coaches versus more of an old guard defensive guy. I didn't even put this on the meter. I'm going, I'm going hot. We're going hot. It's like, it's lukewarm to hot, but like, it's right there. Because he's just on the cusp. He's just on you the You pick the
1: perfect line. time to make the take, too, right? Like, oh, if yeah. you said that three weeks ago, everyone would have been like, hot, hot, hot. So,
0: yeah. opportunistic. It's, it's, it's opportunistic for sure. You know, we're right there. Moving into our headlines. Listen, biggest game of week, ten: Buffalo, Minnesota. Minnesota's kind of just been rumbling under our feet a little bit, like, Quite, very quietly going to 8-1 and one coming into this game like, you know sitting very middlingly in, you know, our DVOA rankings, ESPN's FPI rankings uh, EPA per play rankings FO alum current ESPN analyst Bill Barnwell gets on with it. ESPN's Kevin Seifert just puts out a full podcast, full-throated, called Are the Vikings Any Good? So, listen, it's a long conversation. They mentioned a couple things where Vikings are doing, like, there's more ways to quantify a good team than just yards per game, points per game, efficiency. The Vikings do a very good job at winning in the little areas, finding many ways to win. They also mention that the Vikings, in vast swaths of the second and third quarter, when they get out of their game script, play very poorly or very below average, and then come all the way back in the fourth quarter and put on some heroics. They detail some very interesting stats about how Kirk, by our metrics, by DVOA, by what Barnwell is now more familiar with ESPN QBR, uh, efficiency-wise, this is the worst season QB uh, Kirk Cousins has had in a Minnesota Vikings uniform. Jackson, I explain all this to say Kevin Seifert's take on the Barnwell show is that Kirk Cousins can be the Nick Foles of 2022 to lead the Vikings to a Super Bowl. Let's hear it from the man himself.
2: And you mentioned the cousins thing, and I think you know that that, and that's certainly something that's always discussed locally.
1: Is like, how is it, this guy? This guy's never going to take the Vikings to a Super Bowl. But when you and when you look in the history, there had you either have the the Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady quarterback, or you have a guy who's playing at that level. And so whether it was Joe Flacco, or whether it was mm-hmm. uh, Nick Foles, or whether it was Trent Dilfer, mm-hmm. and and the question is, can Cousins do that? Um, and there's been stretches in the season, this season and other seasons, where he has gotten hot enough. You can say, well, it's
2: possible that, that he could, you know, for sure. he could certainly be the Nick Foles of 2022, or the mm-hmm. or the Joe Flacco of 2022, or the Trent Dofer of 2022, or whatever name you want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so,
1: I think that's that's something to keep in mind, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you don't have to be great for an entire season. You have to be yeah. great for for three games. Or even in Nick Foles' case, do.
0: Two games, two and a quarter games. I mean that's yep. Kirk Cousins right. can do that at the very you know that that is definitely within the realm of possibility. Jackson Cousins can be the Nick Foles of 2022 and lead the Vikings to a Super Bowl. Put it on the meter. I'm actually going to go cold. Because I think
1: the Foles comparison is crazy. Joe Flacco may be a little bit more accurate. And I guess if the take is just like, this is the quarterback who can get hot at the right time, doesn't really have the track record of doing it, but for one four-game stretch can put together a big performance, that's a little more reasonable. But I think putting him and Foles in the same conversation is crazy. Foles comes in... The other quarterback on the team's been the MVP of the league for the first 13 weeks. Everyone had written off the Eagles going into that postseason. That's why they have the dog masks and everything, because all of a sudden they're huge underdogs. The Vikings, if Kirk is still there, they're gonna be exactly the same team going into the playoffs that they are now. And I think, listen, Kirk, he has he has great throws in him every game, right? Like the fourth and the 18, Jefferson. That's a pretty good throw under the circumstances, despite what a great catch it was. The other throw to Jefferson along the sidelines to set up first and goal in overtime is a dime. He also has two just ridiculously head-scratching throws in him every game. Whether or not the defense catches them or not, something crazy is coming out of his hand at some point. And then last game, he just trips over his own lineman twice. I get that might be the lineman's fault. Maybe the cadence of the snap is weird, but... Crazy stuff happens with the, with the Vikings offense that you just don't expect out of a Super Bowl winning offense. So, all of that is to say that I don't I don't see the foals parallel, and I'm also still not bought in on this team as a Super Bowl contender. I just based on you know one big win in Buffalo, where a lot has to go wrong on Buffalo's side, and then a lot of one score wins against teams that are below 500. Story of the league right now, excited to see if they really can make some noise in the playoffs this year. I'm just not, like, I'm not there on Cousins, especially when, like you said, he's gone from the seventh best quarterback per DYAR last year to 17th this year.
0: Listen, I get where you're coming from. And also, Barnwell and Seifert get where you're coming from. They preface this whole conversation with talking about, like, and they lead with it. Are the Vikings good? And basically the way Cipher couches it in a very nuanced conversation is the way you rank teams is, in, in a real NFL sense, you take the two to four Super Bowl contenders all the way at the top. This year that's probably the Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles. You take the three to four teams that are vying for the number one pick and you put them on the bottom. And then everyone else is in the because there's not a ton of variance top to bottom between the rest of those teams, Seifert puts the Vikings at the top of that second tier, which is still acknowledging that they're not in that Super Bowl contending tier. He also acknowledges that, like some of the things they can improve on, are like you know, further making defensive plays, like taking those deep shots more, and those like you know really stretching the field more. I can see it. And it's more like, listen, the Eagles won that Super Bowl. Like, Philly Philly is a, is a, like, very, it's a microcosm of the larger picture where, like, Philly Philly is a hyper-aggressive play call that caught the Patriots off guard and it's the difference maker that won the Super Bowl. That hyper-aggressiveness then later shows out in like the highest scoring super bowl the most yards let up in a super bowl by the patriots uh like it shows it shows up in the rest of the game because the eagles were just unrelenting in their attack the vikings i won't say they can get to that you know what was it like a 500 yard super bowl game. it was like 495 i'm not saying the vikings are going to do that but i'm saying the vikings can up their aggression when you watch Justin Jefferson make that catch in double coverage in overtime, when you watch him make that OBJ catch in in coverage in the fourth quarter, like, you couple that with, like I had already mentioned, like, them finding small ways to win. Like, you know, uh, like, I don't know. Like it's it's diving on that fumble in in the like on the goal line in uh the Bills game. Like it, it's it's most of the time the quarterback just falls on that ball. Like I can't go back like they they mentioned Chicago, they mentioned Washington, like they mentioned a bunch of these different games with like microcosm examples that I wish I could recall now. I highly recommend you listen back to it. It's a great conversation. They like dive into more of a breakdown of the game. It's the game of the week last week. If you haven't gotten enough coverage into it now, definitely listen. But like if they like you can up those numbers for cousins. Like you can get that more efficiency out of them. And if it's a temporary okay situation for him, like if it's a temporarily like you're building the best offense possible to get the most out of this quarterback, yeah, you could get to a super like the pat like paths shake out how they shake out you know like you never really think you have the chalk playoff run you do and especially with their record right now they just need to compete for that one seed and if they get that one seed it's it's a much much easier path for them. if they don't get that one seed and i
1: you know if if we're if the vikings is the fan base that is super pissed off at us this week, I'm fine with that. But I also think they're they're coming around on this team for sure. But with Vikings fans, it's always like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, doesn't this also have the feel of a team that could absolutely lose to a seven seed in the first round? Like, that's what I—I I see it both ways. I see it as a dark horse Super Bowl contender if Kirk vastly elevates his play going into the postseason. They could also absolutely lose round one to—I mean, San Francisco is the seven seed right now could be the Giants. I mean, that's a more favorable matchup for them. But either way, and Greg Joseph's there as their kicker. He's lurking at any given time waiting to miss a crucial kick. Like, there's a lot of things that are still unsolved with the Vikings, despite what a huge win that was. We can't say enough about it. uh, But still,
0: obviously, had to have a lot of things go their way for it to make it happen. I, I think that's just more the, like... Historical trauma that is built up from this team making it just Schrodinger's football team. Like when when does historical
1: trauma not matter in sports? You know, it's it's always there, whether or not it finally reverses or not.
0: Listen, I get it, but at some point, nine and one is not, and that is like an earned, an earned win against the consensus favorite to win coming into the season. Like, I get I get the Bills are on a bit of a down skid right now.
1: It beat the Cowboys this week. Your road your home dogs at an eight and one. Like if you're not pretenders, if you're legit contenders, you're definitely winning that Cowboys game this week. And then the world finally says, no question about it, the Vikings are contenders. But the fact that they're home underdogs as an eight and one football team against a team that lost in Lambeau to a team that hasn't won otherwise in two months that says that you know, Vegas isn't fully bought in on this team yet, and neither are
0: a lot of the people that are following this game. Listen, we'll leave it at that. I will say, it feels a little bit like a goalpost movie. Like, they just beat the Bills.
1: I'm not putting it's- no respect on their name. I'm just saying. They win that game this week. I think that really wakes people up.
0: Speaking of the other one loss NFC team. We've got a bit of a spicy one from Colin Coward over in the herd. Well,
1: Colin Coward, Kale is a, its a shock that he hasn't gotten on here yet. He is one a of the all-timers. Race. One of the all-timers at the take game, uh, and he saw that Eagles game, and you could have just said, "Oh, it's kind of a fluky loss." Monday Night Football, motivated team, a lot of turnovers. No. You listen to what Colin Coward had to say about this. He says there are some very concerning trends that you might be able to pick on up about the Eagles after watching this game. So let's hear it. Let's hear it from the man himself.
2: When you face them a second time, a very unique offense, the element of surprise and uniqueness is gone. What will Philadelphia be like? Well, Washington, I, I compared him to the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Not saying they're not good, but when you face Lamar the second time, Remember the Chargers that first year? Faced him a second time. They beat him. Element surprise is gone. Well, Washington faced Philadelphia for the second time and dominated him. Twice the plays, twice the rushing yards, twice the time of possession, twice the total yards dominated them. Better team all night. We also asked the question, what will Jalen Hurts be like as a young quarterback trailing? I mean, Baker Mayfield with a lead in a run game looked like a pro bowler. What will Jalen Hurts be trailing in a game? Because that's playoff football. You're the favorite. The pressure's on. You're at home. Couple bad series. You fall behind. The games are close. The other team's got a run game. You're not getting on the field as much as usual. You're turning the ball over. They're not. The Eagles have lived...
1: Dual prong take here. One, the Eagles are easier to beat the second time around once you've gotten to see them. And Jalen Hurts... Not so good playing from behind.
0: Where's this one going? Can I just... Before I put it on the meter, can I just say one thing? Please. Baker Mayfield lives in this guy's head. (laughs) (laughs) It's... He's got one example. All right. It's hot. I just don't know... If... I'm ready to say that one loss to the Washington commanders puts out the blueprint on the Eagles. So that's the first part. I'll also add that the Eagles have not had Jordan Davis for two weeks. Uh, I want to get the pronunciation on this right. I think it's, uh, is it, Milote, or... Uh, no, sorry. I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Uh, they haven't had Jordan Davis for two weeks. They just lost Marlon Palutu. He went on injured reserve as well. They're going to get Davis back, but you're losing your two D-tackle. Right but you know who you do add? <laughs> is... Human drain plug, Linval Joseph, and Indominusu. Man, like your sure, only goal in life was to be called a human drain
1: plug at some point. That's going to make him really happy. He's fill in the gap. You stop the run, Jackson.
0: Like I, like you couldn't have had a better. You couldn't have had better pickings off the free agent market to solve pretty much your loan problem as a defense. And turnovers are a little bit, you know, you can generate turnovers, but they are kind of flimsy in terms of, like, a true trajectory stat. Like, they're not very consistent. They're not very sticky. But what helps is elite pass coverage, (laughs) And the Eagles are first in the league in past UVO. And they've got some fantastic corners back there. In CJ Gardner-Johnson. And the rest of the game. Like, they are... They're playing fantastically right now. The Hurts... The Hurts thing is just, like... Kind of remains to be seen, I feel like. Like, that's just... Like that, like that, just gets into you know further conjecture of like, oh, what do you do if he plays down? Losing Goddard hurts a lot. Like that's going to be tough because you're losing a big pass catching weapon. Because if goes down,
1: the game straight up. Like with where they're at in the standings, like losing important bodies on offense is more crucial than
0: actually losing the game on the scoreboard. And Jackson, their their pass off is very house of cards like it is so easy to topple up because it is A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith and uh, Dallas Goddard they are the three Eagles with over 50 catches oh sorry, when I I was saying uh, catches, I meant targets A.J. Brown 73 targets Devontae Smith, 61 targets Dallas Goddard, 53 targets Quez Watkins, 17 huge drop off in terms of backup tight ends, Jack Stoll, Grant Calcetara, and let's throw Noah Tagayi in there. Combined nine targets between them on the season. Like, Stoll's probably the one filling in. He has seven targets on the season. Like, it's a, it's a huge loss for them. And if they lean all the way in on the run... You, can't, you can never really truly stack the box against them. Because AJ Brown and Smith are just so dominant that you always have to account for them. And all the RPO action as well. Like they're
1: always going to be, they're always going to have that versatility to pick you apart if you key in on any one
0: part of their offense. And Smith is so quick that he'll all, like, Unless you're double covering him, he, he, I feel like on that RPO he'll always be able to get that quick slant in. And if you shade over to the inside, then he beats you up top, and, and like you've basically got to always run cover to him, like just because like it's the only way the coverage works out, and you've got to play side. So the pass game, just because of their threats at receiver, always feel open. But that's such a slippery slope where, like, you know, AJ Brown falls out of that game. You lose one guy that gets a lot harder to pass that ball.
1: It's true. So, could, I mean,
0: we're getting back to
1: the take here. I think that if you're saying this game put out the blueprint on the Eagles, I just, I don't see how that happened because it was such a. Like game swings on a few plays, all of which felt very fluky to me. Um, The Dallas Goddard thing, while that's not a blueprint, like that missing body to me means way more than this game itself. Because you look at uh, the turnovers they actually had, you've got a crazy bounce off A.J. Brown's hands directly up into the chest of the safety Uh, who's somehow able to come away with that, Forrest from Washington. And then you've got the two fumbles. One's an obvious face mask that gets missed, and the other is Quez Watkins makes a diving catch, isn't touched, gets up, and gets stripped from behind. So three of the most fluky plays you could possibly have. Then you get the crazy lateral fumble touchdown to end the game and make it look like a worse margin than it was. Philly had a plus 25% DVOA as a team in this game, Kel. Like, the time of possession was crazy in Washington's favor because they just couldn't get off the field on third down. A couple penalties here and there. They run the ball 49 times for 152 yards. Like, maybe that's a concern, but also, like, you're only running for three yards of carry on them. It's not – I didn't feel like the blueprint was out at all. I just felt like everything went Washington's way at
0: all the right times. And you also just picked up two run stoppers where no one's going to run 50 times on you. 50 no times. One, no one does.
1: does one does that anyway.
0: And they're like, you're uniquely positioned in a division where all three of the teams that you play against have fantastic running backs. Uh, fantastic is a stretch for Washington, Big but stretch, yeah. But Saquon New York Pollard more so than Elliott, but. Pollard and Elliott combined in Dallas. Like, very strong running. I don't see a lot of teams replicating that model or having the the chutzpah to really, like, lean into that model. Because at some point, unless you've got a loaded, loaded run defense that can swallow up this Eagles offense, it's going to be real tough to stick to that model. Yeah,
1: and we've got to move on from this take. We'll get back into Washington's rushing offense at the end of the show. But if to me, if the Eagles come out and smash the Colts without Dallas Goddard, we're right back in the same place we were on them last week. And you know Goddard's going to come back at least for
0: the playoffs, if not sooner. Moving on, we're getting back into coaching talk, Jackson. Huh. Let me tell you something, Cale. This was
1: a hot week. This There were a lot of takes being put out. Not all of which have to do with exactly where we're at in the season, but I mean the Patriots have a huge game this week, so it's a good time to talk about it. Lashawn McCoy goes on with K. Adams up in Adams' show. He says something about Bill Bill Belichick that I think you'll be very interested to hear. Let's dive in. You were you were going great until you said the Belichick.
2: Because he's not, you don't think he's a, a great, he's, he's not one of the better coaches in the league, no?
1: He's, I mean, he's had Tom Brady. I mean, if you take away Tom Brady, do you know who he is? He's under 500.
2: He's under 500. That's he he is. Is. So you think, so you would take, what do you take away from him then after after seeing what he's been like without Brady? Um, I think he's very blessed to have Tom Brady. And I think now that he doesn't have Tom Brady, he's like all the other coaches, all the other good coaches. The Marvin
1: Lewises, the Rex Ryans. <sighs> He's a necklace. Could. I mean, I'm just being honest. People, they, they hate for you to be real about Belichick. I think he's a good coach, but all the greatest and he, we, we've never seen anything like him. That's that's bullcrap. Wow, Kale. Um I thought we had adjudicated this many times over, but apparently it's back. No Belichick without Tom Brady. Just a good coach. All this great, greatest of all time stuff is, quote, bullcrap.
0: Where's that going on the meter? Freezing? Like, at least cold. At least cold, maybe freezing. At least as a Patriot, the thing he said about Belichick being a sub-500 coach wrong. Like, he's just wrong. The one season he misses in 2000, uh, the one season Brady missed in 2008, they go 11-5. and And don't forget that season. Matt Castle yeah. almost went to the playoffs. The only 11-5 team ever to not go to the playoffs, in fact. 2020, the Cam Newton-led team that everyone pretend like the sky was falling, they go 7-9. 10-7 make the playoffs last year. Let's not talk about that Buffalo game uh, where they don't make a stop and it's only touchdowns <laughs> the entire game. Uh, and they're 5-4 and four right now. Like, I don't know. So the losing coaching thing is wrong my opinion, Belichick's fallen off more as a GM than he has a head coach. The current state of this 2021 free agency class is interesting. Uh, You kind of get highs and lows out of different guys at different times. Aguilar hasn't, you know, totally lived up to his contract. Kendrick Bohr absolutely has efficiency-wise. They just won't play him for some reason. Uh, like they get different, they get different things at a, at a, uh, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, they cashed out on, uh, you know, uh, Godshaw. They absolutely nailed the Judon play. Like, like there were some absolutely good plays in there. It's more like you look at the draft classes. It gets bad, but not a lot of people like carry the, like they don't wear both hats. I think the most impressive thing that I've seen out of Belichick is listen, I consult Aaron Schatz, the head of football outsiders, a lot. Uh, listen, he's a big Patriots guy. Uh, he, he's said it himself. I talked to him a lot writing the Patriots book chapter this summer. One of the biggest concerns we had uh, that we mutually identified was this secondary uh, that there was like, it's really safety led. uh, It's like really void of any like quality coverage corner. They're doing very well in coverage. Like like, they've gotten a lot out of a day two and a day three draft pick. Uh, Jack Jones and Marcus Jones have looked absolutely awesome as rookies. Like, they're getting a lot out of these players. I, I think there's some things that still need to be worked on defensively, but like, actually, let's compartmentalize this because there needs to be a separate conversation of like Brady with Belichick.
1: Yeah, please let me go through the Super Bowls. Let me just do that because you want to say Tom Brady is the reason you win all these Super Bowls? That's just false. So, first of all, LaShawn McCoy just wasn't watching in the early 2000s because 01, 03, and 04. Those are defensive-led teams. Like, that is Belichick's stamp on all those Super Bowls, on just, you know, the Donovan McNabb game, even that one. Like, that's all defense. Uh, The Panthers scored a lot of points. But those teams got two Super Bowls and won Super Bowls with defense. Tom Brady played very well in those games, played mistake-free football mostly. That's the biggest thing. Wasn't really being asked to, to, like engineer super bowl winning drives you know touchdown drives it was a lot of you know late game field goals upset wins whatever it was i'm almost losing the i'm almost losing the path here but like those are defensive led teams take those out of the equation mccoy's just wrong there 2014 bill belichick has maybe the greatest super bowl winning coach moment in super bowl history when he decides not to take the timeout. Heading into the Malcolm Butler play, allowing Pete Carroll to make his own mistake, running a pass play that the Patriots had specifically like film studied, practiced verbatim all week, knowing it was coming if they were down on the goal line. Like that is Brady the mind trick of the millennium that he pulled off to win a Super Bowl. 2016, you can give Brady that one. I'm fine with that. The 28 to three comeback. That's mostly Tom Brady right there. 2018. They just like transformed midseason into a run first team and just ground and pounded it with Sony Michelle all postseason? Tom Brady was, you know, pretty good, especially in the Kansas City game, but like that wasn't a Brady team. That was a classic Belichick team where he decides, okay, what do we have? How are we gonna shift our identity to give us the best chance to win when we're not having much success in the past game this year? And they pulled it off. I mean like we just counted 5 Super Bowls that
0: Bill Belichick is the main reason they won I think. You also can't call a uh a 13 to 3 Super Bowl a Tom Brady victory. A he should be thanking his lucky stars
1: that Tom Brady was there to go 21 to 35 for like 220. Completely
0: stifling. Like the young offensive wonderkin Sean McVay, who I believe was also, yeah, was that the top offense in the league that year? Yep. Yep. That he held to three points in the Super Bowl? Yeah, that's a a defensive win. That's a Belichick win
1: there. And where was Lashawn McCoy, Kale? Oh, he had just lost to Belichick in the previous round of the playoffs
0: in Kansas City. All right. I think we have firmly put that one to bed. I get the record hasn't quite been there with out Brady but you also got to recognize the difference between Brady hopping over to a pretty much fully constructed roster uh bringing some guys along with him in you know Rob Gronkowski and making some executive recruiting decisions in Antonio Brown versus watching your transcending quarterback leave a team that was already a shell of its former self where your one viable offensive weapon uh, was a slot receiver with glass bones and paper skin playing through, like, cracked ribs and, like, a partially torn MCL. Uh, Like, if if that's the bar for recreating a team, like, that's your starting point versus where Brady's at. It's it's kind of night and day. It's a bit tougher of a task.
1: Yeah. I, the only thing we might disagree about is how we're actually grading this take. And I think we, we often run into this problem where it's like, how do we actually establish the scale? Because I think it's a scorching take. Like, going out on the limb of all limbs to say that Tom Brady's just a good, not great coach without him. But I think we've both firmly established is that we disagree and we have a lot of... I, Lifetime anecdotal evidence to back it up.
0: Yeah. Flip mine into scorching. I get, I always get, I'm not going to bring it up. As always, we got to hold one of our own accountable. If we're breaking down the takes from around the rest of the league, we got to take care of one of FO's own. This week, coming from Derek Klassen, who, speaking of Brady, broke down the bucks Seahawks game in a little film review and has definitively announced that the bucks are back dives really into how they have evolved their passing game done a lot more under center play action have gotten more out of Chris Godwin have felt more comfortable taking deep shots and a dot of 8.5 yards third highest mark of the season they're getting some involvement out of Julio Jones in underneath routes Jackson Bucks are back and a potentially viable playoff contender put it on the board it's lukewarm it's it's a
1: down the middle take this is uh i think the word he used was sleeping giant i think all of us agree for the most point um this was a team that just looked like a shell of its former self but every time we would go back and look at brady's efficiency stats after the game his qbr was way down his passing touchdowns were way down but we'd be like oh tom brady's still fifth in dvoa like he's still playing at an elite quarterbacking level and they just haven't put it all together yet. Like you knew he was still there and you knew that if they ever did put it all together, if they ever did get an efficient game out of Chris Godwin, if they ever got any production whatsoever out of the run game, that they were still a good football team. Like the names on both sides of the ball with Tampa still match up with anyone. So they still have a ways to go. It's not like it was a dominant win over Seattle, but Seattle's a playoff team. They controlled that game from the start. Their passing game was either the most efficient or second most efficient it's been all year. You could argue that Kansas City game that they lost is the only other challenger. And that's a good win. And they did it on German soil. I don't know what that says because it's quite literally unprecedented. But I think this team is is far too talented to be written off. So I'm putting it right down the middle.
0: We'll say the little... Uh... If if you do it on German soil, the little sing they did at the end on that last drive, that was sick. That was pretty cool.
1: Who says Americans don't have amazing culture, Kale? John Denver is is as crucial a cultural export as anything
0: else in the world. Listen, I'll put it I'll put it a little hot just to say uh, I don't want to put it that hot, I'll put it back in the warm. <laughs> it's a good it's a good take. They've done a lot. I think one of the bigger changes, Glass was looking specifically at the passing attack. One thing that I think he didn't look at just because he wasn't looking at the run game, the shift over to Rashad White's here. Like, the one thing this team needed was a speed check and Rashad White, Leonard Fournette. Lenny Bowling Balls. Listen, you, you still get Leonard Fournette, you know, for those red zone runs, for those goal line runs. He had a touchdown. Like, he, I just think the majority carries should be going to Rashad White. Getting that speed up, getting those, like, it's just, it it's it just, you know, you're able to get to corners quicker if you're running outside. You're able to hit holes a little bit harder. You're able to, you know cut a little bit better. It's It helps a lot in a run game that has been completely anemic this season.
1: Brady's won with anemic run games before. You know, it's a, in a Brady offense, it's just as important to have the back that can come out and catch passes as it is to have a back who can really churn downfields, you know, run between the tackles, make stuff happen. So if White's in there catching short passes, you know, they always treat those swing
0: passes to receivers as de facto run plays. They'll be just fine. And listen, you don't need to run to set up play action because they've been going to play action more, and it's helped a lot in terms of the efficiency of this team. But having a viable running back certainly helps. Like having having a running back, where you know it's just not going to be two yards in a cloud of dust, it at least makes the threat of running running a little bit more of a threat.
1: Yeah. Hey, do we have some fantasy takes this week, did I hear? You know
0: we do. This first one coming up from Patrick Corain at NBC's Roto World. Jackson, This is, okay, it's a little double take Because it's a piggyback off of Underdog Fantasy's Hayden Wink's table Curious to see if one single fantasy analyst Will actually admit it's a David Montgomery week And it gets in Listen, we love a good scatter plot It's lining up rushing defense EPA Over rushing offense EPA Opponent rushing defense EPA, mind you Sitting all there alone in that little that little space of white. It's a little Chicago Bears logo. And you get a Coran. He's got a nice little summary. Khalil Herbert's on injured reserve. He hasn't been getting the carry <laughs> share you think he'd be getting with his snap share. You've got the really good matchup. You don't really, he doesn't really see Treston Ebner as a real threat. Falcons defense ranks 26th in EPA per rush, 28th in rushing success rate. Jackson, it's David Montgomery Sisson. Put it on the meter. Well, then, David
1: Montgomery Sisson, I think just based on the Herbert injury, this is sort of a necessary take, so I'm going to put it right back, that, that down-the-middle, lukewarm region of the meter, because first of all, if it's just about this week, you can run all. That's nothing new. We've definitely established that at various points. Atlanta's rushing defense, I mean, it's, it's cotton candy, and so is their passing defense. It's really just like, which... Which of your phases of offense would you rather beat the Falcons with? Uh, Last week, we saw uh, Deontay Foreman 31 rushes, 130 yards, and a touchdown against them. You can can beat them however you want. Going back to David Montgomery. Not been the season you would want from him from like a yards per carry, from an efficiency, from a DYAR standpoint. But you know the guy is going to get a lot of work in this ground game. He's always he's always going to have the volume. He's got 115 carries this season. With Herbert out, he probably gets more of a look in the pass game coming out of the backfield. Justin Fields running so well, I think, opens up a lot of things for him. Rest of the season, I don't know. There, there are a lot of very favorable matchups for the Bears moving forward. Still get to play the Packers again. Still get to play the Lions again. So a lot of things could shake out their way, but I think – This week, if we're just looking at it in a vacuum, it's a no brainer. David Montgomery should go off this
0: week. Listen, they can't all be scorching, (laughs) debate fueled takes that we bring to the show. Sometimes they're just line drives down the middle, lukewarm, swing, head on. Yeah, I've listened, haven't had any shares of this Bears offense. Talk with a lot of people who have. The output from Montgomery has been very, Let's be real. Not really scoring. Not even really, you know. He's kind of involved here and there in the passing game. But outside of that Chicago game at Minnesota. Hasn't really gotten more than three catches ever. So not totally involved. It's like barely eclipsing sixty yards, usually, if that. The, Herb, the Herbert takeover has been really surprising to me. I'm very curious to see what happens when he comes back late season for like fantasy playoff stuff. If Montgomery's Montgomery basically feels like he's taking del back status here, I don't. I don't see them really leaning. Unless this is a guy they've been holding in their back pocket for like half the season, they've just said, "Hey, we got two guys. Uh, I, I think one. Of, I think Montgomery's on an expiring deal. Like, let's just let's just hold Trust Ebner in our back pocket. Like, he'll be our little secret." I don't think that's happening, or else they probably would have broken him out in some capacity. Yeah,
1: six round pick, two two and a half yards of carry so far on the year.
0: There's there's some red flags there. I mean. It's he's had less than twenty rushing attempts all season. And most mostly against the Texans. Uh yeah, I dead on. Dead yeah. on take. Uh let's shout out to our friends at Undrug. If you got those uh if you're in those states that don't allow gambling, but you can still throw some higher or lower than projected stat line uh little sprinkles, Dave Montgomery's your guy this week.
1: Now, I think this next one, Kale, might tick a little more up on the heat scale because if you've been following fantasy football this year, you've known about a guy named Damian Pierce who has emerged in that Houston Texans backfield as really the only bright spot on the entire team. And from a yardage perspective, he's been lighting it up, fifth in the NFL in rushing yards. Uh, The touchdowns have come and they've gone, but overall... He's been a very, very productive fantasy player all season long. Our buddy, Fantasy Flock Network, who we had on last week, doesn't seem to think that the time going forward for Damian Pierce is going to be as good as it's been so far in the past.
0: Let's listen to Fantasy Flock. Damian Pierce has been phenomenal. Damian Pierce two weeks ago on prime time against the Eagles, 139 rushing yards, 27 rushing attempts, putting the Houston Texans on his back, doing everything he can to win them this game. Did
2: it mean anything for your fantasy team? No. Why, why is that? Well, in a PPR format, when he has zero receptions for zero receiving yards and zero touchdowns because the Houston Texans are a dumpster fire, it's not his fault he's stuck in Houston. Where's the touchdown upside? Where are the high value touches?
1: In reality, they're just non existent. Damian Pierce. Many people, myself included, thought maybe this guy can win you a league down the stretch, especially in a game like he has against the Chiefs in the fantasy playoffs. A couple more steps forward. They play the Jaguars. That would be your fantasy championship. But this guy's just saying, time to sell. Agree, disagree, and where is
0: it at on the t- is like take it out of fantasy. He's been playing an offensive rookie at the year levels. Only place you're not selling him is in Dynasty Leagues. Uh like that's a hard no sell. Because you're gonna want to keep this guy. You probably got him in a big value spot. Like if you've got a keeper league, you're definitely locking Damian Pearson. You're not touching this guy. I hear the high value argument. Like, sell high. I hear it just as like they don't have a high vo- they don't have a high volume offense, they're not gonna play in meaningful games. That being said, Pierce, vast majority of these carries. I don't know how much Eno Benjamin is going to cut into this workload as the newly acquired Texans running back. You look at the Texans on the season, there's not a ton of competition. In rushing attempts. Jackson. Damian Pierce is carrying the ball. 165 times this season. in nine games. The second most. Rex Burkhead with 24. I don't think like. I don't think the Texans are in the market. To be like let's save this guy's legs. Unless they're trying to bottom out. For number one. Which you know. they're They're doing a good job anyway. Like
1: don't do that's third that's third highest in the entire league behind Saquon and Derrick Henry. That carries total. Get so he hasn't been the most efficient, but you take those two guys out who are the fantasy titans at running back right now, pun intended, and he's he's getting all the carries. I am a Damian Pierce owner, so there's bias in here and I also traded for him mid season, so there's more bias there. Take it all with a grain of salt, but A I'm not selling and B, I think there are better times ahead. I think he can have a two-touchdown game somewhere on the line. He that Giants game was a perfect example of a fantasy performance that doesn't live up in the scoreboard to how good he actually was throughout the course of the game. He popped a 50-yarder at one point. He had the one red zone fumble. You know, fumble it's not that fumbles are lucky or unlucky, but they're gonna happen from time to time. And he was really the only positive thing they had going for their offense most of the game. That's what he is every week. They're going to keep leaning on him because they have nothing else.
0: I will say it doesn't look fantastic schedule-wise coming up for the Texans. If you're looking at like rushing defenses, you get Cleveland who's the last, who's last in the league in rushing attack. But you also get Tennessee who leads the league In rushing defense. You get Dallas, who's 11. Like, you've got... Miami is 8th. Like, you've got some very competitive... Oh, Washington 2nd. Who you literally played this week. So... They're not going to go
1: away from him just because they're facing good rushing defenses. So even if they... Even if he's held down from an efficiency standpoint, I, I think what that first Tennessee game showed us is that the touches are still gonna be there. And maybe he'll get you a garbage time touchdown
0: Tennessee game. I'm sliding more toward right because I see I see the viability of it. I'd say the only the only way you're definitely not doing this is if you're, you know, in a keep like again, in a keeper league where you're looking to hold on to him, but if you're sta- like, if you're looking to make a big play, and you're just sending floaters, if you're just sending a little floaters, see see how far up the ladder you can climb.
1: Everyone loves those them. guys in their league, the little trade floaters.
0: Listen, I love a I love a little trade floater. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you get bites, sometimes you get bit. That'll close us out for the uh, for the bulk of the show. However, we've got some business to attend to, as always. We can't be the arbiters of takes, the dissectors of takes, without putting up a few takes of our own. And I have a take that I wrote in our pre-show notes the night before, put parentheses, contingent on Thursday night football. Backspace it out this morning and put take obituary. <laughs> Jackson, any given Sunday this week. Packers beat the Cowboys in an upset. Snap a five-game skid in the process. There's a little line in here, this last graph. Still made some ironing out to do in the communication front, but the win over Dallas serves as a sage cleansing for the rest of the Green Bay Packers locker room. There's a recipe to win that worked against a quality opponent coming off a bye. It would be a bit of a long shot, but there is a path to the playoff still on the table for this Packers team. Jackson, the run first Green Bay Packers seemed like they had a recipe against this Cowboys team that they had set up quite nicely. I thought it was a model going forward. I also mentioned in there that there was some massive miscommunication on the front of the Cowboys and that they kind of shot themselves with the amount of penalties that they had. That gave the game back to the Packers. Jackson. On the night. (laughs) Aaron Jones has 12 carries for 40 yards. A.J. Dillon has 6 carries for 13 yards. Christian Watson even had a 3-yard carry in there. I thought that the Packers did a great job neutralizing a top 10 defensive rushing attack. I did not know what would come for them when they went up against the league leader that also got Jeffrey Simmons back for a game. Uh tough one for me. But hey, it's called holding yourself accountable. It is.
1: You've done that this week, so uh, round of applause.
0: I won't pat myself on the back, too.
1: (laughs) What I'm going to do is the right thing and call this a freezing cold take because what could be more freezing cold than a dead (laughs) take? Like, it's just dead. Before it even made it to air on the takeaway, it died. It would have been somewhere in the hot range, but now, you know, no more life in its veins. And glad we brought it here to discuss, but we shall say no more of it for it has moved on to another plane. Rest in peace.
0: Coming into the game, or following the game, they had a 15.7% chance of making the playoffs. Sounds really high. So we're sitting two games back in the loss column. Long shot, like I said. Three, isn't it? they are now three back
1: in the lost column. I said before. I said before. And you said after, but I guess you meant before.
0: I meant after sorry. I said after Monday night, but before Thursday night. I see. Temporally, yes. <laughs> Who games back in the lost column? 15 yeah, they don't have a 15.7% chance to make the playoffs anymore, Jackson. That's pretty much dead. It's also not to you, buddy.
1: You know? I have a take that's still alive, so from that standpoint, I'm feeling better about it. But I'm very uncomfortable making this take. Let me set the scene for you. In our Football Outsiders staff picks article, weekly picks, we pick a favorite, we pick an underdog to win outright, or we don't pick a favorite, we pick our favorite bet of the week, then we pick an underdog to win outright, we pick a player to go off. So those are like our three picks that we get instant feedback on. Kale, I've not gone back and looked at what my record is on those weekly picks, but it's gotta be 30% or work. I am struggling in ways you can't possibly imagine.
0: And this it is week, it is bad. Like really I, bad. I would like to go back and chart us just for the sake of curiosity. But I write these every night. Like right before they're due. Trying to like accumulate like all this knowledge. This has also been a bad, bad year for prognostication. It's been a tough one. Putting these on the spot week every week, it's the beauty of the take sphere. It's going to be a tough look back. (laughs) Yeah. Some highlights
1: include uh, picking the Patriots in that Monday night game to cover an eight and a half point spread. Uh, Picking, I The very first week we did it, I picked the Ravens to win by three over the Dolphins. They led by three touchdowns and somehow lost the game. Uh, lots of things have gone wrong. But this week, I'm trying something new. There are teams that I have been unwilling to touch all season long. I'm too scared of it. Not this week, Kale. Taking the Houston Texans as my underdog of the week to beat Washington at home. Started at three and a half points, down to three, which does make me a little bit nervous. But regardless, I think this is a classic letdown spot for Washington. This has nothing to do with how good I think the Texans are, aside from Damian Pierce, who obviously has to play a big role in this game. But you think about short week, back-to-back road games, emotional win over a favored division opponent. They're getting Chase Young back for this game, so that helps maybe with a lot of the energy. But I just think Washington, after all of the praise that's been heaped on them this week, we forget that they're still a very bad rushing offense from an efficiency standpoint. If you're going to beat the Texans, you have to run it right down their throat. Maybe they can, but I'm not convinced just because they ran it 50 times on Philly. And you know, Taylor Heineke has three throws every game that if the defense just gets sticky mitts and hangs on to him, can completely switch the outcome. He even made it against the Eagles, and the Eagles gave it right back on the Quez Watkins fumble. So I, to me, like, this is just not a Washington team that should be road favorites. They're mediocre at best, and I think they can lose this game. So I'm willing to do what I've been too scared to all year and take the Houston Texans.
0: You're a brave, brave man, Jackson. Should be noted. Both our picks this week coincide with the, uh, with the, it's not really, but coincide with the fantasy picks this week, or the fantasy takes this week. You've got the cold on the Damian Pierce take. I've got the hot on the David Montgomery take because I also took the Chicago Bears to upset the Atlanta Falcons by the same spread, plus three. We're in for a good one. I'm I'm feeling relatively optimistic about both of ours. I will say, I don't know why this is a plus three spread. I feel like the Texans should be getting a lot more points.
1: I would like it more if they were, but I just don't think Washington... I think the betting market is sort of correcting itself on Washington and saying, okay, this game, while impressive was very fluky and didn't mean that much. But I think three weeks ago, the Texans might have even been favored in this game. That's how poor Washington was playing at one point in the
0: season. The addition of Chase Young is very interesting. We'll see how he plays after basically it's almost a year to the week uh, since he last played a football game. It'll be really interesting to see what what extra dimension – a player like Young adds to this offense or this defense. Wow. Uh
2: player. Yeah.
0: Listen, maybe line him up and tie that. Who knows? Logan Thomas, Chase Young, a little twelve. That'd be fun. Listen, I don't hate it, Jackson. I think if there's one guy who's gonna win it, it might be Damian Pierce. Let's
1: go. Houston, we ride this week.
0: That'll do it for us. Here at the FO takeaway. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. Double your first deposit up to $100 or promo code Outsiders at underdogfantasy.com or on the Underdog app in the app store of your choosing. Check out next week, the FO Plus Black Friday sale, 25% off. A lot of good stuff. Make sure you check out all of the sources that we have used to cultivate our wonderful takes. We'll link them all down in the description below. Jackson, thank you, as always, for helping us parse through the NFL take landscape. For Jackson, I'm Kale. Thank you, as always. We will see you next week.